downloading another impossible podcast. I'm PG Bell, freshly returned from the frozen wastes of North Wales, which played host to this year's SFX Weekender convention. About 4,000 sci-fi, fantasy and horror fans descended on the seaside town of Prestatin to spend a weekend with their heroes. Sylvester McCoy was there, Colin Baker, Eve Miles. They were all terrific, and you'll be hearing from them in forthcoming podcasts, but the real star of the weekend had to be Brian Blessed. Now, if ever there was a man who needed no introduction, it's Brian, but here are a few highlights. Star of more than a hundred films and TV series, Brian has appeared in some of the most iconic sci-fi and fantasy titles of the past 50 years. The Avengers, Randall and Hopkirk Deceased, Space 1999, Blake 7, Terry Nation Survivors, Tales of the Unexpected, The Phantom Menace, Disney's Tarzan, Doctor Who, of course, he got to marry Nicola Bryant, the lucky devil, and, most famously, the big-screen version of Flash Gordon, in which he played Prince Voltan, leader of the Hawkmen. He's also a philanthropist and explorer, with three attempts on Everest, made without oxygen, and various treks to the North Pole and the jungles of Venezuela under his belt. He's a living legend, quite literally. He carried home the Living Legend Trophy at this year's SFX Awards, which were presented at the Weekender. And if you're not sure he deserves it, just listen to this. You all having a good time? Yeah. Are the hangovers gone? Yeah. <laughs> right, I've been asked by Dave Norman, apparently you all know the correct response to this. If I say Flash, you'll know what to do. Right. No, 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 we want a bigger one than that. Bigger one, right, you ready? Right, Flash! <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. Uh, right, so uh, our, our next guest uh, requires all the volume you can muster, right? So I want you to clap your hands, stamp your feet, raise the roof, clean off for Mr. Brian Blessed. Miraculous experience. I like people. I love 
science fiction. I, I, I was brought up as a child on journey into space uh, and uh, the war of the worlds, all those, the, and, and the, planet, the man from Planet X, an angry red planet, I adore. And I think one of the finest films ever made, I've mentioned this to Ken Branagh, is The Thing, the original thing. The, the black and white, and I think, oh, that bloody hell's that. <laughs> I thought it was one of those dwarfs in Flash Gordon. <laughs> but, but I just, I just think the black and white version of The Thing, if you've never seen it, by Howard Hawke, is 87 minutes long. And the speed and the camera work, it inspired Carpenter for all his films, and it's brilliant. What I think is lovely in that film is that The Thing is played by James Arness, who was the chef, he was a sheriff in Gunsmoke. <laughs> but I love science fiction. I, but I'm shocked at all this, because I didn't expect you all to be here. I mean, it's miraculous at Pontins in North Wales. <laughs> I mean, God knows what's going to be going on these last two days. I mean, but I mean, what is so lovely, you made me so welcome. You're all so nice, and you're all Peter Pans. You, you will never grow up, and I think that's the most important thing in life. And, I, and I, you know, people say to me, you know, Brian, you know, because 50% of my life these days is, um, half of it is acting, and 50% exploration. And of course, I've been to Everest three times, and the North and South Pole's the oldest man to get there, and I'm 75. I've just finished getting to the North Pole again, and I have just finished. Uh, I train, I train like ourselves. I do about 10 miles running a day, and bench press up to 350 pounds. <laughs> And I, I, I am, I, I, I'm getting sick of this bloody old bollocks. Because it's not how old you are, it's how you are old. I think 40 is very young. I think middle age is between 55 and 65. But it's not how old you are, you know, it's how you are old. Go for it! I always say, you know, the great... Is it, Brian, isn't it dangerous going to Mount Everest? Isn't it dangerous going to Aconcagua? Isn't it dangerous going to all those mountains of Mongolia, etc.? I say to them, and it's in your faces, that the greatest danger in life is not taking the adventure. You've got to go for it. You've got to go for it. Uh, um, you're going to say something? <laughs> shut your face! <laughs> Just shut your... I'm sick of being interrupted. <laughs> I, I must say... You know, I did the Tarzan film uh, 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 three or four years ago, the animated Tarzan film, and I'm Clayton in it, the villain. You know, I was on it for about two years, uh, and, um, and Disney was there, and all of them. And finally we finished the film, um, and I'm leaving, and the guy who plays the villain in Ghost, the film, was the voice of Tarzan. He has that strange voice. Oh, a rather strange voice, which is rather good for Tarzan, rather innocent. And he's the man who's the villain in Ghost, 
Anyway, I was leaving. They said, well done, Brian, said, said um, Disney. Brian, you've done a great job. The car's outside. You're going to the airport. And then I heard the Tarzan doing the yodel. And, and he, he was going, ah, 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 and he couldn't do the bloody yodel. And the Americans are very worried. I said, well, look. I said, when I was a kid, we went to the Johnny Wiesmuller films. And we all did the yodel as little boys. No, Brian, Brian, this is going to be a real problem for us. <coughs> so, no. to Everest this spring. I, I'm not going with them because it's their expedition, but I'm narrating it, advising it, and being their unofficial leader with Prince Harry. These are the guys with no legs and no arms who went to the North Pole. Wonderful guys. And I'm, I'm gonna, I, I, so I'm going to give them a lecture about the south side of Everest and how to get up it. So, adventure. 50% of my life has become adventure. And I, the only actor I really, really meet, uh, my oldest friend is Patrick Stewart, Jean-Luc Picard, Star Trek. Well, as I said to him a short while ago, you know, or when he met me in New York, when there was a premiere, and he embraced me. He always cries, Patrick, when he sees me. <laughs> I've known him since he was nine years of age, and I was 11. You know, he's going bald then. I said, Brian, 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 you're going to die. Are you going to these mountains? You're going to die. No, I'm not yet half sod. <laughs> he, he and I are going to do a show together, two Yorkshire boys, with Sonny Lumiere and lights and lots of his space stuff and a lot of my space stuff and all that. We're going to do a big show together. So, anyway, I'm, I've always known Patrick. We're terribly close, beyond brothers. And, uh, but the actor, I don't meet many, and it's Ken Branagh. I've done five of his films with him. I've known him for 25 years. We have a father-son relationship, and I, I'm the son. <laughs> and he said to me, you know, you're not scared of anything. When he said, should I do this film? Should I direct Thor? Should I do this? What are you bloody talking about? I'm going to the bloody South Pole! I'm going to solo it, will you, deaf bollocks? Get on with it! He so, said, so you're not scared of anything. And of course, there was a day. Suddenly, I'll never forget, stars in their eyes said, Brian, would I for charity, for about a thousand quid for charity, do Pavarotti? I said, Christ almighty, no. So, 
Rana said, scared, are you? I said, look, I said, no. When I was in Cats, a musical, because there's no end to my talents, as you know. <laughs> I've done so many things. These are things that Patrick Stewart couldn't remotely bloody do, by the way. He can't sing and dance like me. I was a, a marvellous cat. Like shit. But anyway, look. But anyway, so, so therefore, they, I said, no. When I was in Cats, uh, uh, that uh, Carreras and Di Stefano uh, and, and um, all the other tenors said, we call Pavarotti Maestro. I said, do you? And Domingo said, yes, we call him Maestro. Why? Because his voice is the best. It is superior. I have a lot of fruit in my voice, Brian. Carreras is the same. But he's his clarity and brilliance. I said, He's acknowledged as the greatest singer of all time. That's why I turned it down. I can't do him honor. They offered it five more times, and I accepted. <laughs> and so I got a lot of money for the One Tree Foundation and for the RSPCA and things like and animals and all this, that, and the other. And when I came through the mist as Pavarotti, you could see the audience like your good selves cheered and cheered and cheered and looked at me cheering and you could think my god the makeup was sensational i looked up on the screen and there's this big screen i thought it's pavarotti is here and then i moved and it moved and i realized it was me i thought god i looked so wonderful and the audience cheered and then they died and they looked at me and they thought, well, he looks like him, but he'll never sound like him. I haven't got a piano, so I may miss it <coughs> totally. But the shock in their faces. Barnsley. Um, my dad was. Yes, that's good to know you're there. 
the son of a coal miner. Patrick Stewart was the son of a milkman. And I, he was in the next village. And my dad was a coal hewer, did the hardest work in the coal mines. Uh, 17 tons a day, etc. And we had, it was marvellous. We had wooden radios. We had, you know, Journey into Space, Paul Temple, Dick Barton's special agent. And in the cinemas, marvellous films, you know, like Jungle Book and all that. So we had these two cinemas. And in the Empire Picture House, we had Flash Gordon. And Buster Crab was absolutely amazing as Flash Gordon. I mean, uh, and, the t and, and, and the scripts were absolutely marvellous. To think, you know, it was so prophetic. There was one episode where you had annihilatons walking bombs. Men who were bombs. You know, precursors of terrorism. And Flash had to face the walking bombs. You know, the clay men. Their dialogue was done, by the way, by, by reversing the language and making it go backwards. So that's brilliant. The, the clay men were marvellous. The sets, the rockets, Litz's music. And he, as Flash, he was a gold medal Olympic swimmer. He was a great athlete. And he wept as Flash. And he ached with pain when he was in trouble. You'd notice him, him, and you felt for him very deeply. And, it, and we'd come racing out of it every half, you know, it's half an hour a week. Could Flash escape? And we'd rush down the embankments when there was the Flying Scotsman and the Ballard. I mean, these were trains! Not other bloody electrical buses! The Ballard, I, I looked in front of it, its Bugatti front, and it won the world speed record coming through the mist. You know, oh, and you became legless. It was wonderful. You can see it in the York Museum. This great mallard. And we'd be watching Flash Gordon. We'd run down the embankment. And I'd jump over the bushes down the embankment. And I always played Voltaire. <laughs> and I never dreamt that one day I'd actually play it. When they decided to make the film, uh... Dino Laurentiis, I tried to persuade him to have Buster Crab in it because he was still alive, 87, silver hair, great muscular body, ran gymnasiums all over America and looked still the same. I'd have loved to have seen him escort Flash Gordon in the film to the aeroplane at the beginning as his father. But he wouldn't wear it, Dino, he wanted to cut away from the past. By the way, the man who was filling the petrol in the aeroplane, who is it? Robbie Coltrane! Robbie Coltrane. <laughs> Brilliant! And, and so, it was, so when I went to be interviewed, I went to the studios at Elstree, and there were paintings of Voltaire everywhere, and it was like looking at me from the comic, I said, it's me! You rotten buggers, you've cast me! It was not quite right, but anyway, of course they did. I've never known such happiness. I raced to the set. It was very interesting that Ming the Merciless, that great Swedish actor from all those Ingemar Bergman films, just before he entered, because he's wonderful as Ming, bright as I would, my plaything. And this wonderful actor, he said to me, Brian, Brian, I'm going on soon, I'm worried. I don't know how to play Ming. 
I said, well, I'd seen you in the Quiller Memorandum interrogating as a German spy interrogator and you cracked your fingers. You have got wonderful hands. And I said, Ming is erotic. And he's a wizard. He's always feeling the women up and grabbing the women. He's very sexy. <laughs> Madam, calm yourself. <laughs> Terrible. Sexy. Christ. I couldn't keep my eyes off Ornella Moti. But anyway. And he, I said, and he's in a magician with his hands. So when you watch the film, notice. So it's all down to me, telling him to, <laughs> using his hands. Thank you, Brian, thank you. And of course, he, 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 he uses his hands quite marvelously. As I said, there's no end to my talents. Now look, <laughs> I raced there, and uh, the, in the opening scenes with Ming the Merciless, I was in ecstasy. But the poor dwarfs, one of them was R2-D2, the one I hit on the head. R2-D2's inside that. And all the dwarfs were there, and they were in terrible pain in their costumes, you know. And, and so I always teased them terribly and insulted them all the time. And the second assistant would always announce, Right, this was in Ming's palace at the beginning. Right uh, in, we're going to do a close-up of Brian. Let's have silence. He is without doubt the greatest actor who's ever lived. And, and of course I said, yes, of course I am. Yes. <laughs> Maybe in the whole universe. We're coming in close on your face, Brian. Is there anything you need? And, Keep those bloody dwarfs out of my eyeline. <laughs> Which one? <laughs> we actually watched Ming the Merciless die. Shut your face! sex life. I'm not going to far too long. I mean, to all the ladies out there, I know a lot of tricks. And I'm going to... Could you tell I'm us a couple of tricks, Brian? I'm going to... I'll bring out a sex book. I have to say, talking about sex in Flash Gordon, in the opening Ming scenes, the Ardentian women were all white, remember? And one of them one of the ladies, forgive the young people present, she had tits on her like a rhinoceros. <laughs> I, think, I think before this gets too, uh, too pornographic, maybe we should... Uh, so, so, no, no shut your face! <laughs> and her name was Magda, you know. And... I was in this dark makeup and wings. It took half an hour to put your wings on, you know. But Timothy Dalton didn't have fancy this bird. And of course, he looked like Errol Flynn. I mean, he's James Bond, very handsome as Prince, uh, uh, what was it, Baron. Say, oh, she's lovely. God, she's gorgeous. 
Anyway, after a while, I noticed some of the Ardenshan women moving towards us after about six days of filming. And they came towards me in a group and said, Mr. Blessed. Yeah, voice like that. Mr. Blessed. Magda thinks you're wonderful. <laughs> she said, she thinks you're lovely. And she's beautiful, Magda. This is the one with the breath. She, <laughs> she thinks you're lovely. She said she could see you as a caveman. And I thought, well, what do I bloody do? I mean, I said, I can't love. It's impossible. I said, I'd cover in all my dark makeup. I said, it'd take me two hours to get my wings off. And I, you know, but she said she could see you. She could see you as a caveman. I've never understood to this day. What should I have done? Hit her with a club and dragged her, and dragged her across the floor. Sorry, not a particularly interesting story, but it shows what goes on. I have to say that um, in the film there is a sequence, which is the attack of the rocket ship Ajax, right? And my men, it's very hard. You see, in all the science fiction films, you get, um, in Superman, one man flying. Or maybe two or three in the sequels after that. But in Flash Gordon, we had two and a half thousand people flying. And it's very hard to get their wings together and have them come down. And there was a day in which it was the attack of the Hawkman, you know, Squadron 14, dive! That one. <laughs> Impetuous boy! All that. Sorry about your eardrums, darling. You'll get used to it. <laughs> so we were all up there waiting, two and a half thousand of us, and it took about seven days to get the rocket ready, to get the dynamite ready, to get the special effects ready, and of course... I, you know, had a great bazooka which was made of cardboard. You know, is that my Hello again, yes, Robert. It's marvelous what you can do with my friends. Anyway, I don't really need one. So, <laughs> so, and there, but, so there we are. And we stood by, we're all flying, and it's because my bazooka's made of cardboard. They made a bloody cardboard. And so they said, right, Brian, dynamite ready, special effects ready, Hawkman ready, action! And I flew in. Follow me, Flash! Yes. Just up. So, when's the night coming? 
When is Rob coming? The knighthood. So Brian, bless it. Knighthood. <laughs> an unfortunate death. <laughs> now, I am not jealous. I'm not jealous about it. Now, <laughs> you know this Gordon's alive. Wherever I go, this is answering your question, wherever I go, in, I do voiceovers a lot, and this, that, and the other in London, and so taxis stop and say, say Gordon's alive, Brian, on my phone. And up in the scaffolding they're doing for the Olympics. Say Gordon's alive, Brian. Say Gordon's alive to my wife. That's why I say it everywhere. At Christmas I did the Christmas show at Buckingham Palace. Uh, the Queen I call her Knuckles. Because, because she always hits me with her knuckles when I say, You're far too old to be going up Mount Everest. I'm going to bring out a royal edict and order you not to go up. But you wouldn't obey me, would you? I said, no, Mum, no, 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 no. Just like my mummy, she was stubborn. I said, well, don't talk to me about safety. Because every time I see you, you know, you're riding a horse without a helmet. Oh, you don't quite, 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 quite. Shh, please. I'm the Queen. Have some respect. Now, <laughs> when I was there at Christmas, she said, you know, Mr. Bessard, we watch. Flash Gordon all the time, me and the grandchildren. It's our favourite movie. I've got the children here. Would you mind saying Gordon's alive? <laughs> so, so I said, Gordon's alive! She went, thank you so much. So, anyway. I tease the knights. I would miss teasing. I, Patrick... I destroy him. <laughs> Derek Jacobi, I absolutely, who is an adorable creature, because when I Claudius together, you know, I just say, you know, I can't call you, sir. And <laughs> kicking him up the arse, which he quite enjoys. I chase him around. <laughs> but there is one renowned knight in our realm who I give hell to. And I would miss that, it's Ben Kingsley, <laughs> whose three wives have left him. And if he's on a film, you've got to sew into his costume, Sir Ben. <laughs> now, when he sees me on odd occasions at the airport, <laughs> he is terrified and desperately tries to get out of the airport lounge. And I become a Yorkshire kind of thug. <laughs> and I go, look, there's Ben Kingsley. Not Sir Ben. How are you, Ben? Are you still acting? Oh, bloody acting, you daft bugger! I can't swear because of the kids. Any good effing this and effing that, you daft so Of course I am! I've got an Oscar! I didn't know, I thought you'd give up acting. Are you a knight? It's a knight! Well done, Ben! He said, get me out of here for Christ's sake, get me out! So, ben Kingsley, I'm the scourge of Ben Kingsley. <laughs> So, and so, the, the, 
The Queen said, Pip, you know, when I saw you in Have I Got News For You, and I must say, we watched it several times, it was very funny, the 30-minute version's wonderful, but the 40-minute version, I've never heard F-U-C-K said so many times. <laughs> of course, she said it's an Anglo-Saxon word, it means spreading of seed. Now, <laughs> so, anyway. She said, have we given you anything at all? I said, no, no, no. I said, if you're going to give me some, make me into a baron. <laughs> make me a baron. And if, if they make me a baron, I can piss on all the knights. <laughs> um, should we try to get one more question? So let's have see some hands. Thank you, love you, Kagia Kiss. Thank you, my old son. You got a question over there? Hi, Brian. You directed King Lear. Is there another film or story you'd like to direct in the future? Yes, I. I, 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 I yes, I, I. Uh, let me see. I directed King Lear. And we had a very tiny budget, and we filmed it all in a garage and a barn and some fields, didn't we? And now it's the big bestseller, the uh, DVD of King Lear, um, and it's on sale in the pound shop, isn't it? <laughs> <coughs> and you, you can see people going along, oh, it's Brian, he's got a lovely voice. Uh, well, I'll Brian, I'll have a quid on Brian, I'll, and I'll buy a couple of plugs, and I'll buy some, I'll buy a brush. I'll have two of, I'll have two of Brian that I can stick it on the shelf and hold all the books up with him. And it's sold 376,000 in three weeks. The whole of Hollywood can't believe it. So now uh, Tesco's and all the others have seen this in the pound shop. I'm known as the you know, King Pound, you know. And so they're going to give me all this money to make some more films. And, and I, I know it sounds silly, but they've never really properly made the right film of the War of the Worlds. I get, I get tired. So, I, I know a lot of nice special effects people, all kinds of people. It is a British story. It's full of penny farthings. It's full of penny farthings. It was an age of invention. The Martians didn't come to conquer the earth in the War of the Worlds. They sent an auxiliary force to Britain to see if they could beat the British army. Because at the time, Britain ruled the world with our ironclad uh, warships and two and a half million kind of army and infantry, Gatling guns, and that if they can beat the British army in Britain, then they will take on the world. It's an, it's an auxiliary expedition the Martians send, and it's full of inventions. W.G. Grace playing cricket at Lords, steam trains coming in into Woking and so forth. So the whole thing is a, a kind of rather friendly English story, and this horrific happening is taking place and I just think it could be done wonderfully well and very very British Good. 
you know, I am absolutely, it, it's awesome that the place is packed with so many people for a guy like me. I think ultimately, I am Brian. In my life, I've arrived at being Brian, and I like being myself. I am incredibly touched that you're all here. And therefore, I can tell you that my biggest love in life is space. And I'll make this very short. Um, and the fact that I'm at the moment working with Skylon uh, in Abingdon. This is seven space planes for the moon. You can get it on your internet, the Skylon, and me narrating it. With the Britain's best scientists. We had Blue Streak, Black Arrow, and Black Knight at the end of the 50s, early 60s. Ariadne, the European rocket, is Blue Streak. We have such marvelous scientists young scientists who are out of work. These days, I talk to Pillinger, and I talk to Hawking, and I talk to all kinds of scientists. My life has taken this on. I am observing Beetle Free that's being built, and all kinds. I feel there are 700 space agencies, and we don't have one. We let the world! Had we pursued in 19... Late 1950, early 60, Blue Street, Black Arrow, and Black Knight, Pillinger says, we were in advance of Werner von Braun, Britain would have been on Mars. Now, I know about the economic situation, but I feel we need to get people like you into space. The space Center in Leicester, kids this age, down there in thousands at the moment, want to go to Mars. I wanted to go to Mars when I was six, seven years of age. And they've been sitting on their asses. And I feel, <clears throat> you know, that the Earth, the Gaia principle of the Earth, that it is Mother Earth, and she has not yet bred her children. And that we need to go out, not implode. New forms of art, new forms of theater, on the moon and Mars, etc. Biospheres. We can take our creatures out there, our Lepidoptera out there. We need to get out. We are the children of stardust. And we don't just belong here. We need to get out there. I feel this, that take philosophers and painters and new forms of Olympics, as I said, get out there. We've got to start sailing. So I meet Zubrin, the, who is doing Mars Direct. And he is now making a spaceship that can travel at half the speed of light. He's almost finished it. I mean, Gollenbeck and all these wonderful people. And they, because they were astonished that I went to Everest at, with 28,500 feet without oxygen at my age, they examined me from my lungs with an all, twice a normal size. My blood was A and B group and other peculiarities. And NASA want to put me into space. <laughs> so, I, have, I, I, haven't, I haven't announced this officially, but it's, it's as good a place as any with such marvelous people like you. But I have just completed 800 hours in Bacanoa, the Moscow Space Center, with beauty and watching. I have now become a fully trained cosmonaut.
am now first reserve for the International Space Station. And I'm going to go there late this year or early next spring. And I'm going to champion and be a spokesman for the whole program. And I feel, you know, that's, I don't think we've been, I think we're going to make it as mankind. I think we're going to succeed. I mean, Christ, I've been president of the National Parks for seven years, and Ben Fogles took over, and now I'm vice president. I'm president of the Yorkshire Wildlife. You know, it is a huge success story, Britain. Our parks are the creme de la creme. They're green, wonderful. We've brought in hundreds of butterfly farms, all kinds of things. Britain has second to none the best national parks in the world. They're a big success. We, have a, we don't shout about it enough. We don't tell bang the drum about this. We're a very wonderful nation who's achieved so much. And uh, therefore, I'm going to kind of inspire all this and be the, the front runner of the space race to get out there and to grow and grow and grow. And let the earth slightly recover and be rustic. And I feel that we have an immense future. What I want to say to you quite simply is, there is no one like you. Nature doesn't cheat. We've all got something that nobody else has. You're given something rare in your dreams and what you are. Now you've got to go and fulfill it. You go and do it, because there's no one like you. And don't let the bastards grind you down. case you hadn't guessed, was the sound of a standing ovation. Fantastic. As I mentioned earlier, we've got complete audio of the Q&A sessions with Sylvester McCoy, Colin Baker and Eve Miles, as well as a roundup of this year's cosplay competition. There's some truly terrific stuff coming, so stay tuned. Before that, we'd love to hear what you think of Brian's big announcements. Are you looking forward to another War of the Worlds movie? When can we start buying tickets for that show with Patrick Stewart? And can NASA make earplugs strong enough to withstand his visit to the International Space Station? You can leave us a comment on the blog, like us on Facebook, or follow us on Twitter. We always love to hear from you, because, like Brian, we think you're marvellous. Until next time, take care.
Apostel.